0: Welcome to This is the Author, where authors talk about narrating their audiobooks.
1: In this episode, meet novelist Maya Schoenbach Lang, writer Benjamin Taylor, and co authors Tom Fitzgerald and Lorenzo Marquez. Each of these authors has combed through history, whether it's of a personal relationship with a loved one or the cultural history of the drag community, to create and share true stories of connection inspiration, and love. Then, discover which author rehearsed reading chapters of their book out loud for the month before their recording session began. Enjoy. Hi, this is Maya Schombach-Lang, author of What We Carry, a memoir. It's funny, I actually never wanted to write a memoir. So I'm kind of a reluctant memoirist. What happened is that in the year that I was taking care of my mom, who moved in with me during her Alzheimer's, I started writing Facebook posts really as an outlet because I needed some kind of release. And I would write these Facebook posts just about little daily moments of living with her and negotiating her illness. An editor at Penguin Random House happened to see my posts and contacted my agent to ask if I might be interested in writing a memoir, and I actually immediately said no. I said I was flattered, but I didn't think I could ever write about my own life and that I'm a fiction writer. And that same night, I went home and wrote 70 pages. And that was when I knew that whether or not I wanted to write a memoir, I think I needed to. I was definitely writing this memoir as I was living it. And in fact, towards the end, I was faced with this question of, well, how do I wrap this up? Because this is my life as it's unfolding. And one of the things we wanted to accomplish in the memoir is to wrap up this ongoing thread in the book, which is this family story of the woman in the river. It's kind of an Indian myth that my mom passes on to me. And towards the end of the book, when I was unsure how to finish it, I decided to take her on a walk and ask her about that story to see if she remembered it. And so that chapter of the memoir, I came home and wrote it right after that walk. So it was really writing the book as I was living it and kind of a, you know, almost a choose-your-own-adventure for how the book would end. In one word, I think I would describe the experience of recording the audiobook as intimate. And I think ahead of time, I imagined it as very solitary and being in a recording booth, sort of cut off from anyone else. What's funny is that you can't help but read the book out loud, I think, without picturing a reader. You know, I think writing a book is very much a solitary exercise and experience. But reading it out loud, you kind of suddenly feel the presence of the reader there with you. So that was a wonderful and lovely thing, was to kind of conjure the reader's presence and feel the words reaching someone in a very intimate way. One thing I think a lot about is that we're all, you know, in this life, on this planet, We're all just trying to figure it out, and we're all just trying to negotiate life. Part of what I hope comes across in the audiobook in particular is the vulnerability of being and the fact that that's okay. You know, I never think of myself as someone who has answers. I think I'm just someone who really likes to think about the questions and how to go about thinking about them. And I hope that readers feel reassured or just less alone and less isolated or less solitary when they read this book so one word i've never thought about is the word ask a s k which comes up a lot in my book because conversations are often being recounted and dialogue is being you know repeated and i hadn't thought about what a clumsy sort of inelegant word that is. It's a hard word to say out loud. I don't know if I will use it again. (laughs) I may from now on write differently to avoid saying ask, especially in the past tense. It's somehow even clunkier, you know, asked. And the other word is either, which like true to form, I would either (laughs) say either or either. I could go either way, one might say. So I hadn't ever known this about myself. You know, we all have our little tics verbally that we just don't know until a process like this one. So that was a funny moment. My dream narrator, I mean, obviously this is not the right fit for demographic reasons, you know, but Morgan Freeman's voice, I think because I love the Shawshank Redemption and love the way that he delivers lines with such grace and elegance and poetry. So if there could be like an Indian woman Morgan Freeman, that would be my ideal narrator. And now listen to a clip from the audiobook. In the years to come, I would often think of the woman in the river up to her chest in rising waters, paralyzed by fear and indecision. Eventually, as I learned the truth about my mother's choices, I would see my family's story captured in the tale. I had been right to be restless when my mom first told me that story. I had known on some level that she was being evasive. What I hadn't realized was that through fiction, she was trying to come clean. The story was her way of owning up to what she had long hidden, to help me see what had always been before my eyes.
2: Hello, this is Benjamin Taylor. My book is about my 17 year friendship with the great American novelist Philip Roth. I wrote it in the aftermath of his death as a kind of mourning. And it also enabled me to establish what happened in the previous 17 years. This is really what memoir is for, figuring out what happened and what it meant. And I've tried to do that in a trilogy of memoirs now, a book about a city, Naples Declared a book about a family, The Human Cry at Our House, and now a book about a friendship. Here we are. Narrating my audiobook was harder than I imagined. It taught me the hard lesson that I'm no actor and never will be, but I did my best to follow instructions. I hope it was a good outcome. I realized I had trouble pronouncing a lot of words that I use every day. I think I've always said... Zion when I shouldn't have been and my Mises when I shouldn't have been. I'm very excited about the possibility of sharing what was a deeply intimate, private, unshared experience for so long. If I wasn't going to record my audiobook, I would cast, uh, oh, I don't know. I came into the studio saying, you're not Ben Taylor, you're, you're Gregory Peck. That was my way of trying to get myself in the mood. Was I read to as a child? You bet I was, by both my parents, and I think that may have been the key factor. I remember mother reading to me Hans Brinker or The Silver Skates, and I remember Dad reading to me Old Yeller, and I've revisited those books, and to my amazement, I remember every scene of them. The last audiobook I listened to was Mr. Bridge by Evan S. Cannell, read by George Giddell, and I highly recommend it. Can't recommend it highly enough, in fact.
1: And now, listen to a clip from the audiobook.
2: Those who reached the inner keep met there someone quite different from the persona devised for public purposes. Still vitally present at home was the young man he'd remained all along, full of satirical hijinks and gleeful ventriloquisms and antic fun building to crescendos. Imaginary relatives were a specialty. I recall, for example, Paprika Roth, a retired stripper living in the Florida panhandle. A glint in the eye told you hilarity was on the road. Hi,
0: this is Zane Birdwell, Tom Fitzgerald, and Lorenzo Marquez. And we just finished up recording Legendary Children with Tom and Lorenzo.
1: Yay! Yay! I'm
0: very excited oh my God, to have I can't the authors it. here. Thank you. So this was a real treat for me. As I told you both, this book was full of stories and information that I'd never heard. I thought it was interesting and fascinating and a wonderful history of drag culture. I can't tell you how happy that makes me hearing that. I mean, that was the goal, to tell stories
3: that interested people, that didn't sound like they'd already been told before. To hear that is just really gratifying. Mm -hmm. I'm very glad. Yeah, it was great.
4: We actually went home last night and we were talking about you. It was like, you know, if he liked the book, then a lot of people are going to, you know, appreciate the book and find it interesting. And what we want with a book most, I think, is to make people interested enough and go out and do more research and find out more and hopefully get engaged with the community and do something.
0: Was there anything about the moment now that inspired you to do it? We covered RuPaul's Drag
3: Race since its very first episode 10 years ago. right? And one of the main repeated themes in the book is that the show – was the best representation of gay male social culture television had ever seen, and that is actually in our first recap of the show over 10 years ago. So we've been in it since day one, interviewed RuPaul, interviewed a bunch of the queens over the years, and we have watched as the show went from a show where we were the primary audience, meaning basically middle-aged gay men, and it expanded outward in all these directions. And not only did it get away from just being a show for gay men, but it also started becoming a show for much younger people. So you have DragCon every year now, which is in New York and L.A. And we went this year, and it's just packed with people under 25, a lot of them under 20. And you can tell There is this sense of hunger to know what this is all about. They love Drag Race, but nobody's really explained to them, this is what this is about. This is all the things that came before, and this is the reason why the show is this way. So when the book was being developed, at a certain point, we kind of looked at each other and said, are we really going to get to write a queer cultural history for young people? What a gift. And
4: I think if you're a fan of the show, because I do follow – All the live reading and all that stuff that goes on when the episode airs. And I see the younger generation just surprised by certain things that RuPaul says or or jokes about. They just don't have that point of reference. And I think the book is perfect for that. It's like, okay, here's your favorite show. And this is why RuPaul said this. This is why the Queen said that in the workroom. And then you understand why things are referenced and done in a certain way. And by that way, you
0: learn your own culture. You learn about queer sure. culture, yeah. Yes. And you get all the different pieces of the puzzle. Right. As I was right. reading, and I thought, oh, I got to know more about this. I got to know about more about the, you know, yeah. I, I just, this whole list of things. That I was like, I can't wait. There was right. m- movies you talk about, right. yeah. Shows, people, historical figures, and thing. we
3: restricted early on. We made the decision that we were going to focus on people and events that were easily found online. Right. Because we know that's how people get their information now, especially young people. So every single thing, every person mentioned in the book, you can find recordings of their music online. You can find videos of them online. You can find tons of articles and photographs and everything like that. Go Uh with our blessing. Use our book as the starting point for something. Right. It's not the end point. It's the starting point
0: to right. your education right. of queer culture. You're pushing people away from the dock in a way. You're good to go find yes, the, the raw materials. Exactly. And and if nothing like else, mother hens. And if <laughs>
4: nothing else, and you appreciate the show, at least you're going to appreciate the show even more because you're going to be able to see all these things pointed out to you throughout an episode, for example.
3: To be able to put things like the Stonewall riots right. and the AIDS crisis of the 1980s both of which have been so written about, when we first tackled them, we thought, what are we going to say about this thing that has been so examined? But to put it into a larger story, to explain what led up to it, what erupted afterwards, what is still going on, that was a big thing that we wanted to get in the book. This is not just a history book. I'm doing scare quotes right now. We wanted to get especially young people to understand this is all history. You're in it right now. Right. It's continuing. Right. The last thing we wanted to get across was this idea that we were two old gay men who were like, "You need to understand where it all came from." That partially fuels it. But what really made us excited is placing the reader in it. Right. You're in this. Right. You're walking amongst all the work these people did, and you have an opportunity to either enjoy that work. Or further it, a lot of RuPaul's Drag Race young fans are queer, and a lot of them in the nature of Gen Z and millennials are just broadly queer, have not really pegged themselves to anything just yet which I think is exciting. But I think our book can come along and say, by the way, here's the rainbow of options open yeah. to you. Here's the rainbow of people that came before you, if yeah. you want. You, you finish the book and you realize, I'm on the continuum now. Exactly. It's not a straight line. It's not something that happened past tense. It is always happening.
0: It never stops happening. You both did such... A wonderful job with this, but I have a couple of questions I wanted to ask. Okay. If you had to describe what it was like to record your audiobook in one word, what would that word be? Terror. <laughs> uh, rewarding. Oh, rewarding.
4: There you go. See? Okay. Um,
3: you write those words, and you're not just getting an opportunity to hear them out loud front to back. You're getting the opportunity to say them in the manner you hoped that they would be said, hoped that they would be understood. We have podcasting experience. We've been podcasting for four years. But no, like, reading copy experience. And I spent a month rehearsing every night reading an entire chapter out loud. It's not like a podcast where it's 45 minutes to an hour of someone listening. It's hours and hours of someone listening to you tell some sort of story. Mm That knowledge that someone was going to spend hours listening to us, I thought, well, I have to make this as pleasant and enjoyable for that person as possible. I had to make sure that they were constantly engaged every minute of my reading, of our reading, Right. that I wasn't losing
0: them. As I said earlier, I can't imagine anyone else doing this, but I have to ask, is there anyone else you would have loved to have had read it if for whatever reason you couldn't have done it? I mean, RuPaul. Uh Uh-huh or someone else involved in the show, maybe. But I can
3: remember back when the book was being written, it wasn't a given that there was going to be an audiobook. And this came up. We were talking about it and we thought, well, who would if that ever came up? We never actually came up with an answer. So when Penguin came to us and said, we'd like you to do it, even though it's intimidating to yeah. be
4: asked that. I think when you do the reading, uh, it comes to your mind, all the research you did. All oh, the, yes. And I think that gives the emotion necessary to well, read the I book. Well, and I felt
0: like I was on a journey with right, you. Right, right, You were going through this experience. Right, I'm hearing right, this, right. this history from you. And your...
4: if it's somebody else is reading the book, I don't think it's the same vibe. I don't think it's the same emotion given. Um, right. Yeah, because when we were reading the book, oh, I could think of all our conversations, of all the times you came to me and said, oh my God, I just watched this video. Go watch this video. Yeah. All the things that you research and you do, your hard work, all comes to your mind when you're reading every word. I know um, you heard this, but...
3: Every single quote in the book, I was able to quote right. exactly how the person said yeah. it, because I can hear yeah. every single one of them in my head. I watched the videos so many times, right? and it was actually work a couple of times to not lapse into doing a total imitation of somebody else.
4: It's fascinating, and we talked about this, that you create something, and then you keep expanding, expanding, expanding it, and I think... Reading the book is an expansion of it. It's one more facet that you achieved that you were able to experience within your own creation.
1: And now listen to a clip from the audiobook.
4: In the grand
3: tradition of all queer-only spaces, it evolved over time with improved lighting and spruced-up digs, and it became just a bit more formalized as a space for both gathering and doing the work, or work. Historically, queer folks have always created their own spaces where they could maintain a community, forge alliances, break bread, or just hang out, far from the judgment of people who don't quite understand or who actively want to harm them. It would be nice if we could call them all safe spaces, but for a long time, and up until comparatively recently, there was no such thing as a totally safe space for a queen. Not even if a queen wanted to go out and have a birthday drink